All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Precision Rifle Channel podcast. I am here with my friend Marcus Olson from Sweden. Marcus, how are you, sir? I'm fine. How are you, Travis? I'm doing very well. Thank you. So for all of our listeners that aren't familiar with who you are, can you give us a quick rundown of what your connection to the Precision Rifle community is? Uh, well, yeah, my, uh, my name is Marcus Olsen, as you heard. I'm uh, located in Sweden, and I'm one of the co-founders of the Viking Rifle series here, in which we run in the Nordic countries. Okay, so what is the Viking Rifle series? Because that just sounds totally badass. Well, it is sort of... A few of our matches are pretty badass, actually, but it all started out uh, maybe, I'd say, three years ago now. Before that, we had individual matches, but uh, and uh, we wanted to bring them all together and, and create a series to expand the sport, just make it grow because we'd hit a plateau or some sorts you could call it. And to create a series, we wanted it to just grow and reach a larger audience across all the Nordic countries. So we're in Sweden, Norway, Finland, and Denmark right now. Nice. And uh, so that was three years ago now. And uh, yeah, as I said, I'm, I think it was, we started out with maybe four matches and now we, this season we had 12 and uh, about 650 something registered shooters wow that's awesome that that's huge yeah. so you guys are growing tremendously i mean how so obviously a majority of our listeners are here in the in the u.s we actually have quite a few international listeners as well but what is like Okay, so you told us how many matches there are in the countries that are involved, but what is it like going to a VRS? I mean, is it a field-style match? Is it a lot of positional? Is it a combination of both? You've had the opportunity to shoot U.S. matches. So how do you compare the two since we haven't had the opportunity to go visit you yet? Uh, okay, so we when we run our matches, usually we don't have a set uh, type of matches that they all run because each match director can create his or her own match style of match. Okay. And uh, so some of the we have one of the matches which gets the hardcore VRS rep uh, all over the world. It's the we have the NM uh, Langhold, which is Nordic Championships of Long Range Shooting, which is a part of the VRS, and that's basically a field style match with about I could say probably say twelve hundred feet of elevation gain it's in march there's six feet of snow it's you know got people's beards turned full of ice and it's it's a wow you one of the guys burned i think six thousand calories in a day doing that match wow that sounds intense yeah it's 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 pretty intense but you know it's it, it's everything it's kind of that slow pace all the time movement that's uh, that burns the calories so it's not super intense as per se but you know, you're constantly on the move for 12 hours, and you start out like 5 in the morning. Whoa. So how many different courses of fire are you shooting in a day for that, uh, match? On that match? On that match, we're probably looking at uh, around 10 to 12 uh, different stages. Uh, but as I said, all matches are different. That's right. more of a field-style match with a lot of unknown distance. You mill your targets. There's... I'd say like 95% of all the stages are prone out to maybe 13, 1400 yards. And um, also the more you work yourself up the mountain, uh, the longer out you'll shoot. So when you're at the first few stages, you're maybe between four and 800 yards and then you walk up and the, the distance will become longer. 
And uh, so that's one of the matches we run. And the uh, Norwegians tend to have more field-style matches. And you walk over into Sweden, which is more of the kind of precision rifle-style matches. And Finland as well. Denmark is sort of a mix. Uh, so you can get a little bit of everything depending on what match you're choosing to shoot. No worries. So if we were to come visit you from the States, what match would you recommend for us to come in and uh, try out? Uh, okay, so... In Sweden, we have pretty much, there's two matches that are really good. We have the Osthammar, uh, which is our finale now in May. And we have uh, Haparanda, which is in the absolute northern parts of Sweden. Uh, it's in the middle of summer, so the sun sets at like, I don't know, 3 a.m. and goes up at 4. So it's and, light pretty much all day. Yeah, pretty much all, yeah, you, you know, when you look at the sun, it's like, oh, it's setting down, I better go to bed. It's like 3 a.m., so, uh, <laughs> but the match is just regular hours anyway, but... So those two are the two best ones in Sweden, and we have a, also another match in Norway, which is called the Midnight Sun Rifle Challenge, which is also one of those, you know, kind of semi-hardcore matches. You, It's really worth visiting. You mean, the scenery, it's fantastic. It's in the absolute most northern parts of Norway on a big military uh, training field up in the mountains. You start out at, I think it's uh, 5 p.m. Uh, on Friday, and the match stops at... 5 p.m. on Saturday. So it goes on for, for a full... 24, 24 hours. hours. Yeah, and there's... If you're lucky, maybe a two- or three-hour break in the middle. If you're unlucky, 30 minutes. Ouch. Ouch. So that sounds very... I mean, that, that sounds very tough. It's, I mean, it's definitely not like a standard U.S. match, that particular one. I this mean, if you're Norwegian. going... There's, they're, they're special. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you said it, not me. <laughs> And we love them, though. <laughs> they, they put on some really good matches. It sounds like for that match, though, you'd have to be, well, all of your matches, you'd have to be very physically fit. Man, not all of the matches. Uh, There's just those two matches in Norway that you'd have some certain level of physical fitness needed, especially the one in the winter with, with all the snow. You have snowshoes and everything, but still kind of Swedish matches are more like the U.S.-style matches, Finns as well, and Danes as well. It's just those two ones in Norway that's, uh, well, that's required some fitness level of you. Gotcha. So now that we've talked a little bit about the matches, what about the type of gear that you guys are using? What's popular in the VRS right now? Uh, caliber, chassis, stock, optics. What is it that's really kind of taken off over there for you guys? Actually, we made a little survey on that on the VRS uh, quite recently, uh, and the top 30 shooters answered a bunch of questions on actions and scopes and calibers and everything. And But if you look at it in the bigger picture, I'd say action-wise, I mean, 30% of the, no, I think it's like 48 or 49% of all the top shooters still run Tika actions. Okay. And uh, so there's a few guys running, you know, Impaxes, Defiance, and all what's nots, and custom actions but still majority of the guys still run Tikas and there's not a single guy running a Remington so that's that's the big difference there right. and uh, so and the most popular cartridge overall is probably the 65 by 55 Swede uh, in the in a Tika action in some sort of chassis uh, mainly MDT style chassis or some kind of stock like a Macmillan or something which can fit a bottom metal and run the big uh, 300 wind mag magazines wow okay so some of the gear is similar, but your caliber choice, the 6.5, yeah. is, I yeah, mean... It's, 
it's our version of the Creed more, which we've had for like what hundred and something years, uh, right? And um, still run with one thirty grain bullets and all kinds of that, similar to the U.S. And uh, that's the majority of all guys. But if you're looking at the upper end of maybe the top thirty guys, the most you see like a majority of the guys running BR or BR variants and dashers. You see that BRAs, six XC, six Creed Moors, and all kinds of sixes. But there's still a few 6555s and a few 65 Creedmoors up there as well. Awesome, awesome. So, how, I mean, you said that the, the VRS, you have roughly 600 plus members. Uh, the sport's obviously grown over the past four years that you started, you guys started the VRS. How is the sport overall accepted out there? It's um, started out kind of rough, you know. You have We've had the what you call like a field shooting which is we've had that for maybe well as long as the 6555 has been around for like 100 years or something right it's uh you walk around in a group of maybe six plus guys and you have unknown tar unknown distance targets out to maybe 700 yards all paper six shots prone so you range your targets with the with the reticle obviously and uh, no electronics allowed and you judge wind and you can put six rounds on paper and you walk around, of course, a fire of maybe six or eight stages, all a problem. So. But we started getting into that sport with the uh, optics maybe eight years ago. I think that was allowed to use optics. Before that, you only had to have open sights, like, you know, the, what you call the peep iron sights? sights. Yeah, iron sights. So optics were allowed a bunch of years ago. And then started having these few matches which was more of the precision rival style matches, you know, kind of in the dark on the side because, you know, it's not always accepted with new types of shooting. You know how that goes. Right. And uh, after a while, we started that started getting traction and more guys started shooting and then we got our matches. And as of recently, we're working towards getting this recognized as a standalone sport. Uh, in this, uh, in our National Shooting Federation, which is going pretty well. I have a meeting with those people now, In uh, probably by the time this thing airs, I'd say it's well on the way with the uh, rules and regulations, and uh, we've probably pretty much been unofficially accepted into the Federation as a sport. That's terrific. That's great news. You actually um, just recently also shot the Guardian match in Ireland. Oh, yeah, that is correct, yeah. Right? And Speaking of the Federation, then we'll go to the Guardian match. But you guys had a meeting at uh, at the Guardian. Were you a part of that meeting? Oh, yeah. yeah For, and how many different countries were represented or groups were represented at that meeting? Do you recall? Uh, I think we had uh, four or five different nations on site. And now the whole thing with the meeting, we obviously not everyone invited could attend because it's not everyone from around the world will travel to Ireland for a three-hour-long meeting. Right, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there was a there's a bunch of guys, and we have a WhatsApp group, and we we talk a lot about how to uh, take this uh, sport uh, further on, and uh, probably try to have a world shoot uh, eventually. Not not 100 percent sure when or where, but it's it's in the works. Let's talk about the Guardian. The Guardian match took place in Ireland about what a month ago. Yeah, something like a month ago. Yeah. Okay, and that was the first time the Guardian went to Ireland, and they had a truly international um, list of competitors. So, how was that match shooting against 
a group of different guys from all over the country. What did you like? What did you think could be improved upon? The guys over at the Guardian, Gary and Brittany, they're all very good friends of ours. We support them very much. I wasn't able to attend, so I have to live vicariously through you right now. So, so what did I miss, bro? <laughs> nah. So it was a they it was all hosted on a range that's a use for F class. It was pretty wide, so you could shoot a good I don't know, if it was maybe six or six or something stages at the same time at similar distances, but still maybe between three and this a nine hundred meters or yards uh, on at the same time in a line, just going what do you call it, like not straight but kind of angled. Okay. It was Stages themselves, because Ireland's got a bit of a problem with the whole having the sport accepted. Uh, so no, there were a bunch of limitations on how you could set up stages, but they no kind of urban thingies. You know, they've had a problem with the whole you know IRA thing. It's still pretty fresh around there. Right. And uh, so they worked it around, and they put off different kinds of farm equipment and hay bales and bog roots and all all stuff. But overall, I'd say it was very good very well planned stages and they've made the absolute best of what they had and i'd say it's the match itself just it was just up there among the best matches i've shot they've had some errors in how they set up their steel but i mean that's it's all a learning experience and the next time they'll get it 100 right but i mean it wasn't a thing that affected the match i'd say nice so you actually ended up taking second place in that match is that correct yeah, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a bit. Actually, the first day, I was called out as the winner of the match, and I was, you know, shaking and almost started crying. And the next day, he <laughs> walked up to me and was like, hey, dude, you know, uh, I kind of messed up. And I was like, what are you saying? He was like, yeah, you know, we, we gave you 12 points on a 10-point stage. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? It's like, yeah, you know, Scott, he beat you with one point. And I was like, oh, oh. damn it. <laughs> But it's all, you know, Scott and me were friends since years back, and, you know, it's no hard feelings. We just, I had a beer, and we traded trophies the next day, and, you know, all fun and games. <laughs> well, that sounds like quite the experience. I mean, you know, and and I know, anytime you go into a new area doing something of this nature for the very first time, um, you can do everything in your possibility to make it perfect, but there's always going to be something that's unexpected that happens. But... Overall, the, the feedback that we saw on social media and online was that it was a great experience and, and you know, big congratulations to you for coming in second place uh, in such a, a very, like, tough com competition. I mean, some of the guys that were out there and some of the scores and some of the videos we saw, they were just phenomenal, phenomenal competitors. Yeah, there were some really nice guys over there. I met a, a ton of nice dudes. Some guys I knew from before, like uh, uh, Dustin Coleman and Scott, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I also met up with uh, Dorgan Trossel, or how you pronounce yeah, his Dorgan. name. Dorgan, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the character. He's, he's a fun <laughs> guy. I love that dude. He was, he was awesome. Did you drink with him? No, I, unfortunately, I did not. I've heard that he is a very good man to drink with. He is a great man to drink with. He and I have shared many a beer. Yes, I could imagine. I would love to do that when I visit next time, though. I'm probably going to try to shoot for next year. I got maybe, if all works out, I'll shoot four matches stateside next year. Awesome. Awesome. That, yeah, that'll we'll, be huge. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see how that works out, but at least I'm planning for it. So the plan right now is the plan to come out and 
in one trip and hit four matches, or you get to come out a couple of different times? Two different trips. Two first, different trips. Uh, first trip would be probably June and uh, hit the NRL match in Nephi in Utah. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that, next, uh, just a weekend after that, we have the Q Creek match up in uh, Wyoming there that Scott hosts. So yep. both Scott and uh, Matt Yor at Sawtooth offered to lend me rifles for that match because I don't have anything that's capable of those distances. Uh, I got a 300 win Mad Tika. You'll feel just at home. I'll feel just at home. <laughs> However, I do believe if I can shoot it like a the pro build defiance from sawtooth i'd probably go with that over a tika <laughs> there you go i i would say you're in good hands with sawtooth they make a phenomenal phenomenal rifle yeah yeah i, I his matt's a super awesome guy to talk to he's a, also a good friend of mine i stayed with him when i was over there last time nice nice and then are you coming back out for a shot show this year because i know you were able to hang out last year that's actually where we met was that shot show last year are you going to make it back out for that or no, unfortunately not. I probably could make it over there in time, but, you know, i got to kind of prioritize where I put my money if I'm going to shoot four matches. Right. Completely so I, I, would lo- I would definitely love to, but, you know, I'd probably go maybe the year after that or something. But, you know, every single year, I don't think there'll be that many new things to see. But, you know, there's always great, great people like yourself to meet over there. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So... With the Viking Rifle Series, what's next for 2020? 16 matches for 2020, or is it going to grow? What's what's the plan there? Actually, sadly, we we lost one match and might lose another match due okay. to the one of the matches had they lost the right to shoot. It's still a debate, but it looks like they might lose the right to shoot at that location. So they're scouting for a new one, but as of now, it's not happening but we're working on it and the other one is just basically the guys having a kid one month before the match so yeah family first right yeah family first totally so we all understand and he'll be probably or he will we hope so be back back the year after that because he's one of the guys who founded this thing also it's uh, that's the uh, nordic championship match in march so it's kind of season sensitive also you can't shoot it in february or january because it will be all dark and in April, there will be no snow left, which will kind of beat the whole purpose of the match. So you have to shoot it in March, and that's when he's got a little newborn out. So Gotcha. So for you know everyone that's not familiar with international or, or Swedish law or Nordic law, you know when you and I met last year and we were hanging out, having a couple of drinks at SHOT Show, you were explaining to me that as a individual citizen, you're only allowed to have what is it, three or four rifles per household or something of that nature? Well, it kind of depends on what type of license you have. If you have a, if you take, well, it would be probably equivalent to your hunter safety course, but it's more, uh, it's like two tests of, I think it's two tests. It was like, this is 15, 15 years since I did this. So I, excuse me if I get something wrong. And the fellow Swedes who's going to be like, oh, that's all wrong these days. And I was like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so if you have a hunting license, you're allowed to have, the basics is four rifles, and you can get six if you can motivate the need for the additional two. Okay. Uh, so most of and you can have sport shooting license, which is points based, and it's quite a few rifles actually. But you have to be active in that sport. So explain to, that to me. 
It's uh, the whole sports shooting thing. Yes. So you have to be a member of a shooting club and take part of uh, a, a, a federation-sanctioned sport, which is what we're trying to make this so people can actually have their rifles on uh, sport shooting license now we're all running them on hunting licenses and you can imagine a like it's i still hunt with my 20 pound match gun but you know it's semi-heavy right it's not ideal no it's not ideal it's good for you know shooting pests and all kinds of stuff and, but it's not good for stalking right. uh, anyway so the whole sport shooting thing is if you your sport is recognized as a, a standalone sanctioned sport by the federation you can motivate buying a rifle for that sport and so you apply for that license for that sport itself and your gun club or you they will have to sign a written statement that you're actually you will that you're a part of this uh, this club and you're actually a part uh, of this sport you're actively competing in this sport so that's that makes you oh, needing cool. this rifle okay so hence you can have it and under that sporting license, you said you could have multiple rifles. Yeah, you can have multiple rifles for sure. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how many, but it's quite a few. It's not like 20 or something, but it's it's a fair few rifles you can have. Awesome. So now that's in the Nordic countries, but also that's kind of similar in other parts of the world as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's the pretty much the standard thing. I mean, we're all dreaming about having a liberal gun losses you have over there but you know it's probably not going to happen but then again i do have a two wait two weeks wait to get a suppressor and i pay a 30 dollar application fee there's pros and cons <laughs> yeah there's a few pros but there's a few cons as well well that that's that's pretty awesome so okay so we talked a little bit about the match we talked about the gear that's needed um where do you see the future of like like the growth between the United States and Scandinavia, Sweden? Do you see you know the similarities in the two, or are you seeing that they're growing into different style matches? Because a lot of the matches that you described, um, you said you shoot a lot of positional stages, and oh yeah, yeah, is barricade and props and those type of um, items becoming popular in yeah, your they, matches as well? they've always been popular. Uh, they've been around since, like, I think the first real match that kicked this thing out was in, uh, kicked it off was four or five years ago that started this wave of precision rifle shooting that we have now. We had barricades and tank traps and all, all things like that because, you know, YouTube is a pretty nice place to find information. So, right. Uh, we all when I, I host my own match in the Viking series and it's pretty much all positional on a square range that has multiple ranges, so I can host about close to a hundred people on that one shooting in two day match and it's all positional. Okay. And obviously there's not uh, you're not going to burn six thousand calories walking a hundred meters between the stages. Right. So it's that's more of the the norm of uh, matches. It's it's what you would see. You could just walk from stage to stage. It's you know positional shooting. Pretty, I'd say, in general, I'd say we're kind of so far we have, we do have smaller targets than you have. Give us an example. Uh, like if you have a if you have a what do you call it? Two year limits or know your limits? Know your limits. Know your limits stage. 
the smallest target at 600 yards could probably could well be you know like three or four inches six okay. or seven hundred yards so and if you shoot positional from a barricade you shoot them at was it 400 the standard size one i mean they shoot them at all different yeah but but the standard prs skill stage thing is like 400 something yards I 400 think. something yeah yeah and it's a 12 inch target or something i believe so yeah and we sh we generally shoot those at like 450 on a, a nine or ten inch so there's just little bit smaller a little bit smaller now what i mean when you talk about the environmentals you're talking about shooting in a lot of snow for some of your matches um what other environmental factors do you guys deal with mosquitoes <laughs> <laughs> right no it's uh, actually there's, there's a fun thing if, if anyone want to have a good laugh at how stupid we are uh, i do have a youtube page uh, Travis, you could probably put a link up or something. Absolutely, we have the Haparanda match from this uh, uh, from this year, where I'm video filming guys' hats and shirts, and they're all covered in mosquitoes. I mean, it's a black shirt is almost gray. Wow, they're they're just everywhere. You can see just filming out in the dead air. There's just you can see them swarming around like it would be raining. It makes you sure that. Uh, Whoever can concentrate the most on the targets and not the mosquitoes wins that match. Right. I mean, that's got to be a huge distraction, just you know, all of that flying around, but also landing on you and biting you and all the other annoying things that mosquitoes do. Oh, yeah. We do. Unfortunately, also, since the European Union has uh, uh, rules and regulations on most things, uh, uh, one of the cons, I'd say, our insect, insect repellents are probably like 25% as effective as the ones you have over there. Oh, so they're not even, I mean, they're no, not they're, strong at all. No, no, it's uh, I, probably maybe be drinkable. I'm not sure, but I, I wouldn't try, but you could probably drink that stuff. So We've got crazy snow, mosquitoes, wind. Is wind a big factor at your matches or is it, you know, I I'd mean, obviously it's, it's dependent, but is it's, it? It depends, but... Uh, when you shoot the midnight sun match, it can be either dead calm, or you could maybe lose your backpack. Uh, but so far, it's been calm because the last few stages of that match, it goes into a like a bottleneck of a mountain, just pushing upwards. Okay. So if you have a slight little wind down at the bottom, when you get to the top, a uh, two thousand yard wide, uh, what you call it, gorge or something, valley. Uh, Valley, like a 2,000 yard wide valley, will be 300 yard wide. So all that air is going to have to be pushed through that channel and it gets quite windy at the top. But in general, I'd say this I've only shot one match in the States and that was up in Montana. And I think we had it was kind of windy, but I'd say that's about as much wind as we would ever see on a match over here. Okay. So, so how many matches have you shot in the US? No, just the one up in Montana. I was supposed to shoot uh, this summer. I was signed up for the the one down at the Revolution at Rock Castle. At Rock Castle, right. Unfortunately, yeah, that one got uh, got canceled last minute, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. It's It was sort of a bummer. I'd invested a lot of time and money in going there. But, you know, Adam, uh, the MD of that match, was just an awesome guy. Really helped me out with everything after that. And... You know, I, I got my refund and he helped me out even more than I could have ever asked for. So, I mean, I uh, I owe him, I don't know, a lot. Uh, so, I'm saving that money up for next year now. So, 
But anyway, Adam, if you're listening, big thank you, man. I still, it almost makes me cry when I think about that. <laughs> yeah, Adam, uh, he, he's a great guy, and it was an unfortunate circumstance that kind of caught all of us off guard with the the property. It was nothing Adam can do about it. But No, no, he, he told me the whole thing, and I totally understand it. It was a bit of a bummer. I was looking at going to the the mile high match in Colorado, Colorado instead, but that was also, you, I was adding a good, you know, two, two, three thousand dollars extra on top of it. And I was like, well, I'm not going to take out a second mortgage on my house to shoot. So, right. 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 But. So, okay. So this year you're going to shoot, you said four matches you have, uh, I believe you said the Utah match, mm-hmm. right, which is dog yeah. Valley. You're yeah. going to go shoot Scotch ELR match. Right. Yep. What are the other two matches that you're planning for? Okay, so this was actually... Oh, sorry, I'm having a beer and I had to... You know. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> it's quite... So, just so you guys know, it's like 10 o'clock when, you know, stateside that we're recording. And it's, what, 7, 8 o'clock over there? Yeah, 7 o'clock over here. 7 so o'clock, I'm okay. my afternoon beer. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, so uh, this was um, in Ireland when me and Scott was talking on date too after we traded trophies and and uh, i stayed with scott before when i was up there he's a super awesome guy and he said you know there's two nrl match just back to back uh just next door pretty much and i was like really which ones and he explained about the the one in montana and the weekend after that the one in washington so he was obviously going to shoot both of them because they're up right around his neck of the woods right so i started thinking that sounds like a pretty good idea and so i contacted another guy i stayed with when i was driving around up there jeff ship up in montana also an absolute awesome guy and uh, he offered me to stay at his house and pick me up at the airport and he's also gonna i think he was gonna ro that match and uh, i could just drive up with him and owen and you know shoot the match and after that go with scott back to washington hopefully if Nothing gets in his way, but and just shoot both matches back to back, and uh, yeah, that's uh, probably going to be one hell of an experience. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. So I'm going to be able to see you at least three or four times this year. Yeah, yeah, I know for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but now here's the question: You're going to be shooting three NRL matches, and uh-huh. watching how you shot this year through social media and the things that you posted. You're probably, you know, I would say you're going to qualify for the championship in Oklahoma. Is that something that you would come back for and make it a fifth match? Uh, yeah, I, I would probably, you know, I, my boss would probably understand if I qualify for like a championship over there. And I, it would just be a few days off. I would, you know, put in some overtime, make sure I could afford to fly. But yeah, if I qualify for the championship, I will definitely be attending. Nice. That would be awesome because we would love to have representation of you coming out here and showing, uh, you know, showing your skills. No, yeah, well, I know. I know. I usually just tell people this, like, oh, Marcus, you know, they. I just say that people obviously think I know what I'm doing, but I'm just, you know, as soon as that timer goes beep, it's all just blank and it's just muscle memories. So I just can't really say that I know what I'm doing. I'm just doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been competing then for? Uh, I started, I've shot for pretty much my entire life. You know, these days when 
when a kid gets annoying and demands a lot of attention, you parents hand them an iPad. And right. uh, when I was growing up, I got handed an air rifle and a thousand pellets. Nice. So <laughs> that's uh, that's how you got rid of me as a kid. Nice. And uh, so I've been shooting a lot since then. Uh, obviously, hunting has been a big part of my family for as many generations as there's been a record. And um, I, I notice that I say and a lot of, of times, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I have certain words that I say too much, and, and my team gets like, stop saying that word. So don't yeah, worry well, about I it. can blame that English is not my first language. There you go. What's your excuse? <laughs> my brain moves too fast. <laughs> yeah, <same thing. laughs> anyway, so as I said, hunting's been a big part of the family. Grandma still got an old hunting musket up on her wall. That's from her grandpa or something. I went to Australia to live and work there for a year with my current uh, fiance Anna. And uh, when we got there, I was invited by a Swedish guy who I barely knew. He's uh, was there shooting the World Cup, uh, World Championship bench wrist shooting. Okay. So I stayed with a few people there running the BRT shooting supplies, Stuart and Annie, for a while. And they invited me over to shoot a 1,000-yard bench rest match. And I didn't – it was score – I think it was score for points and group size. So I didn't do too well on the score, but I was second on group size. Nice. Which was, uh, you know, a big surprise. I got a little bit of coaching on the wind, but it was still kind of, you know, got that spark going and – I shot some more benches over there. I worked with a, a nice uh, family of the marshals out in Blackall, and um, they were a big. All of them were big into benches shooting. So when I got home, I decided I wanted to start competing, but I didn't feel like benches was my thing. I was just wanted to shoot long range. So I got myself a six five fifty five and started shooting the whole field type shooting matches that I told you about the under right. distance. So this was six years ago now, and four years ago I shot my first precision rifle match, and uh, what I <laughs> I hadn't practiced a single thing. I was pretty much he I got a reserve slot, so I was way down on the reserve list. So I was thinking I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get a slot. I'm not gonna do that. So I just I put up for some twelve hour shifts that week. And I just working, working, working. And uh, the MD, who's a friend of mine, also called me up on like Monday or Tuesday and, and told me, well, Marcus, you have a slot. Do you want to shoot? So here comes the problem. I was working 12 hours a day, had two-hour drive to work. I didn't have any ammo, and my rifle wasn't zeroed. Ouch. So what do you, and so I, so so I was thinking, maybe I should practice. Maybe I should get some ammo. So what I did was... On all my breaks at work, I was watching, well, your videos on YouTube. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I was like, oh, I wonder what I should do. What is this kind of shooting? I've never really heard of it before. And when I got home, I kind of sleep deprived. I loaded up all my ammo. And on Friday afternoon, I got in my car, drive three hours, and just lights out, slept until the morning, and shot my first match. And, and I was hooked. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you caught the bug. You noticed your bank account quickly getting depleted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had to start up a business on the side of my day job to be able to afford all of this. <laughs> Is it firearms related or something different? That's firearms related. So I can 
put some some of the skill uh, to good use actually so that's that's good so what is your side business let's uh let's promote your side business here promote my side business okay yes. so uh, it's just you know i host a, a few what do you call it uh, scott says precision rifle clinics uh, courses or clinics i don't know what the correct word is but a few of those i sell steel targets uh I got that idea from Jake with the JC Steel. I think, and that should be a pretty good market to get into. Right. And do that. I do some basic product development thingies, and uh, you know what you call small consultant thingies. And also, I do some freelance work and write uh, gun reviews for a magazine. Awesome. Awesome. So, in five or six years, your life really change and you got fully immersed in this sport yeah that's a good way to say it yeah it's uh, it's taking up all pretty much all of my free time now you also mentioned that you have a fiance is she into competitive precision rifle as well or is she, it's not her thing she just lets you do yours no, she, she had a good time when we were shooting in montana uh, so we were shooting there with the defiance crew uh, and janae and all those guys and she had such a good time she thought it looked like a lot of fun so i'm i'm on the way to trying to convince her to start shooting it's not it's we're getting closer every day but one day awesome. maybe we'll see she's is she going to come with you very under, oh very, i'm sorry go ahead no she's just very understanding and supportive and it's i couldn't ask for a for a better woman in my life that's awesome congratulations it's hard to find Thank the good you. ones oh yeah but i know i've seven years ago I did so I'm very happy nice is she gonna come out with you stateside yeah for the first two matches uh, she will be coming out there with me but since the other two matches will just be a really quick visit and just revolve around shooting and pretty much when I'm not shooting I'll be reloading so she'll probably stay at home then it won't be much fun for her gotcha so if she comes out to the Utah match to Dog Valley if uh -huh. she wants to compete We'll have everything set up ready for her rifle the whole nine yards. Oh, I'm going to have to tell her that so she gets some practice in. Yeah, just tell her to come out and have fun. Dog Valley is a great match. It's a lot of fun. Um, well, so it's either that one or the mile high. depends on when I get time off from work, but it's both of them. one of those two. Okay, so both of those are great matches. Um, Cole at, at Dog Valley does a great job, and Robert in Colorado does a phenomenal job as well. So you can't go wrong. And... Either way, we'll have one of the NRL loaner rifles and ammo and everything chronoed and distance uh, dope and everything ready for her to rock and roll. It's very nice of you, Travis. I'll make sure. I'll make sure she. But she I'm not doing that, that for you. Only for your wife. No, oh, I your know. She's, no, she's <laughs> a good-looking one. Of course, you're going to do it for her. <laughs> uh, no, I mean it, it. It would be great to have her come out. Um, either way, I'd love to love to meet her because we didn't have the opportunity to meet her at Shot Show. Um, so yeah, that would be awesome. But my my invitation is there. Let it be known throughout the world of this podcast. Yeah, no, no, she's just gonna have to accept it. I mean, the world knows exactly. Right now, she's got a little bit of pressure to come out and have some fun. Yeah. Well, that's uh, sounds like a. <laughs> Pretty good pressure to have on you. <laughs> That's a good thing. So Absolutely. a little thing that I actually want to talk about, the whole VRS thing, is since 
Uh, we did. We have had an American shooter come over here and shoot. Uh, Andy Hawkins uh, from oh. Colorado. Yeah. He shot one of our matches this fall, and uh, it was a, he had a great time. He was a super awesome dude. Uh, and um, there's a little bit of a hassle because since the VRS is in four different countries, and Norway is not a part of the European Union, but Finland, Sweden, and Denmark are. So all four countries have different routines on how to get a firearm into the country if you're a non-European. Right. So it's a good thing if anyone want to come over and shoot, they're more than welcome. We'll set up everything. Scott has been showing interest to come over and shoot and some other big names. That's We're going to try to keep a little bit of secret until the last minute, but let's just say uh, they were on the AG Cup. Nice. So... Um, but if you're going into Sweden, you'll pretty much like we go over to states. We'll need a written invitation and we'll have to supply a form to the ATF. That's what you'll have to do to Sweden as well, Norway, Finland and Denmark. Uh, so that's something you'll probably have to do a good two months in advance before coming here. Okay. Preferably three months. So that's a, that's a good thing to know because when we've had shooters over, even from other European countries, we have the European Firearms Passport, which allows members of the European Union who has a valid gun license to apply for a firearms passport and travel freely with that firearm. Norway does recognize that passport, so you can travel freely with it, but Sweden does not, for some reason, recognize that recognize that passport. So we've had guys from all over Europe who want to go, because we've had 12 or 14 different nationalities of people come here and shoot. And when they are about to go to Sweden, it's like, start asking a little bit of questions and they're like yeah have you filled out that form to get your rifle into sweden and they're like no i have the european firearms passport it's not valid in sweden so you need some extra paperwork it's a good to, thing to get out there for people wanting to shoot even if they're in europe or in the states just make sure to have that paperwork done before you reach the airport nope that's that's a huge good piece of advice because a, a lot of times when i mean it's weird because even within the u.s a lot of people don't understand what the laws are when you travel with a firearm, on, especially on a plane. I mean, if you're driving, mm-hmm. it's a little bit easier, obviously. Yeah. Um, but when you're flying with a firearm, a lot of people don't understand. So obviously, you know, when you're traveling to a different country, those laws, you know, each country has its own set of laws. Mm-hmm. Um, you you'd mentioned, you know, having to write an invitation letter in the whole nine yards. We actually just had to do that for the NRL South Africa because five of their members are coming stateside to shoot our championship in December. So, yeah, so. Uh, I was going to say, so if there's anybody looking to come stateside, if you need help with letters or anything of that nature for your match, um, for the matches you're attending, obviously we're, we're somewhat familiar with, uh, with that, that process, and we're obviously going to help out whoever wants to come stateside to, to participate. Or... If you're going to come stateside and you don't have a firearm or a rifle that you want to use, um, the NRO, we actually have loaner rifles, like I offered to your wife, where mm-hmm. we can set you up with, you know, a complete rifle set up and different optics that you're comfortable with and whatever and you had Was that the rifle you had at the Freiner's house during SHOT Show? Oh, gosh, I don't remember what rifle that was. It was like, uh, what you call it, the tanned kind of colored coyote thingy, AI-ish stock, I think. So okay, that one. I think it was a Kel- I think it was a Kelblies. So I have a couple of Kelblies that are my personal ones, and that might have been what I had over there. Um, 
it, it's I don't. It, it's just so hard to keep track because we change things. <laughs> There's so, so many guns. Oh, <laughs> such a big problem. Like, come oh, on, I, I didn't want to sound like that, but I mean, <laughs> between the Frainers and and myself and then what the N, uh, NRL has, there's there's enough rifles that it's kind of hard to remember what went where unless there's a picture of it. It's a good problem <laughs> to have. It's a good problem to have. No, mm. it's good. But also another thing that you need to get into Sweden, besides that written invitation, which Andy had a bit of a problem, problem with, is that you need... I don't know how you would acquire that, but you need a written permission or a written statement from your local law enforcement that you're actually not a felon and that you are allowed to own that rifle. From the state? Yes. Huh. Which which is uh, something that they don't have any routines to hand out. So Andy had to go through a lot of hoops to be able to get that. Otherwise, Swedish police would not let him enter the country with his rifle. See, and that, that's challenging. I'm, I'm interested. Maybe we'll have to ask Andy how he did that because... It would be my assumption that law enforcement wouldn't want to write that letter because they wouldn't want any kind of liability. No, exactly. That's right? pretty much what I figured it was like. But at the end of the road, I think he got a paper saying that he's not a criminal. Well, there you go. That's pretty, um, that's pretty much it. That's, yeah. I think that's all you need. Just, right. Because, of course, you know, criminals don't have firearms. No, that's I, we who know your laws know that a felon is not allowed to own a firearm. Right. But obviously the Swedish police does not know that, or they don't care. I don't know. We They do have some weird ideas every now and then regarding to gun control, which have, uh, I don't know, it's uh, interesting to say the least. As of recently, they wanted to impose a uh, same license as we have on firearms on uh, detachable magazines. Wow. Mm, yes. Interesting. Uh, and... It, I think it was written so that if I had my rifle on hunting license, the magazine would be only for hunting and not sport shooting. So they would, they actually want to go so far as to distinguish the differences between the two rifles and what is capable of using what for what reason? Yeah, I don't think it's going to have to go through our government, though, first to pass that law. But that's what they're asking for. But it's been a big public outcry that's, that they're pretty much just doing this. It's just stupid. They're claiming it will help to battle the gang criminal crime that we have a big problem with now. I think we've had like 180 or 190, uh, what you call like explosive attacks between gangs with like hand grenades or bombs this year. 190, I think it is. Holy jeez. Yeah, so it's we're right up there with Mexico per per capita in population. <laughs> That's crazy. See, and I never thought, you know, when I think of Sweden, I think of chocolate, Swiss Army knives, and six-foot blonde-haired, blue-eyed women. You're doing the same thing as all other Americans. You're mixing it up <laughs> with Swiss women. I think you did that on purpose, man. <laughs> I hope you did. I, you know, I, I you always have, have to give you, you a hard time. Long, so. I'm sorry? We do have six-foot blondes, though, but we don't have very good chocolate, and we don't have, obviously, no Swiss Army knives. Right. But i got to give you a hard time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> the funny thing is that I've actually heard people who have been serious about that. Oh, you have great chocolate over there. Like, No, I don't think we do. No, but you sure know what you, you did have that was awesome? Um, what was that liquor that you brought over here to the Frainer's House for SHOT Show? 
It's just whiskey. Yeah, but what was it? It was delicious. No, it's just just standard Scottish Highland whiskey, single malt, just regular stuff. Um, and not regular, regular stuff, but it was, you know, semi-fancy. I think, I don't, I'm not sure it was Isla, but it was Scotch single malt. It was pretty good. Tyler good. really liked it, and I liked it too, so I'm more happy that he liked it. So There you go. There you go. It filled its purpose. Exactly. Exactly. So, you have plans to come to the States. When does your season start, and what do you do to prep for your season? Okay, so we rotate our season not around the whole January to December. because So, the first match of the year is also the finale. So, we rotate... Oh, sorry again. (laughs) (laughs) There goes that beer. So, we rotate it around. So, this... I was supposed to host the finale now in April, but I'm, I don't feel like my little like semi-basic venue is fit for a finale with 100 plus people that's going to get media coverage and everything. It's like, you know, it's pretty basic. So I left it over to the next guy who's more uh, got a huge piece of land to work on. Targets out past probably to a thousand. It's just massive. Uh, so he's going to be the finale. And the next match after that is going to kick off the season in June. And it's also going to be the finale the upcoming year if they uh, accept the, that offer to host the finale. Otherwise, it would just go to the next guy. So next season, 2020, is going to go June to May? Uh, it's probably going to go June to June. June to June. Yeah. So uh, if, if the match is hosted in June, it's the uh, first match of the year. It's also going to be same match next year as a finale and usually we run them on similar dates uh, every year interesting so that makes it okay so it rotates every year is there a rotation order that you guys already have set in place or does it is it come up for like a vote or something there we go. it's uh, it just depends if uh, we we haven't really decided yet because it's so the series is pretty new we've only had We've, this is our second finale we're going to run now. So what we're going to do is that we tried to make it that all the first six or eight matches that we had the first season will be the first ones to be offered to run a finale, but we're probably going to just run it so it's the next guy runner-up because, you know, matches come and matches go. Right. You know how it is. Right. That's awesome. So that's, that's an interesting way to do it. Cause... Yeah, it's uh, some guys don't like it, some guys like it. I say I probably like it because it's... Uh, it makes it uh, kind of a, evens the whole thing out. So one year you could have a field match as a finale, and the next year you can have a positional match. So it's kind of encourages to be an all-around shooter. No, I, I like it too because so here in the states, you know, our season is January to December, but mm-hmm. our championship is usually November December timeframe. We're trying to keep it in December right now, so it limits us geographically where we can have the match because of the weather. Because, yeah. you know, we don't want to shoot in six feet of snow. <laughs> no, obviously not. Right? <laughs> um, but it's been brought up, you know, recently actually about trying to s- shift the schedule around so the championship can be held in other parts of the country that would normally be too cold. And mm-hmm. the way that you guys are doing it is uh, an interesting way to do it and maybe something that we should think about as well. It's a nice thing. It gives a, a lot of venues the opportunity to host a finale. Because, uh, obviously, 
no matchup in Montana would, as it looks now, be able to host a championship match. Right. Which probably a lot of Montanans would like to have in their backyard, but not in December. Right. So it's it's a good way to please everyone. So one year it's going to be very favorable for some guys and other year favorable for others. So it's, it kind of evens the whole thing about a little bit. Because you have, well, the, the furthest distance I think that I have to drive from a match, I'm just outside of Stockholm, is a 23-hour 20, drive. Wow. And that's just in one direction. And if right. I go south, I have like an 8- or 10-hour drive. So okay. it's a 34-hour drive between our most southern and northern matches. Kind of. So that's why we want to even it out, not to have the finale in the same place every time to just make it fair for everyone. Right. Okay. So, yeah, most of our most of our members have like an eight to ten hour travel cap. If they can't mm-hmm. get there within eight to ten hours of drive time, then they're not going to go to that match. But the thing is, is obviously, you know, we have the opportunity for a lot more matches. Um, here in the states between the NRL NRL Border War and the NRL 22 series. Yeah, yeah, totally. As I said, we had 12 matches last year and we might end up with the same amount this year with our we're looking at adding a few more matches. Maybe we'll have more for the next season, but that's we have until May to decide who's up for the next season cuz the next season starts in June, so right. we will have the winner to decide. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I really appreciate your time. We're, we're right at our time limit here. But one of the questions that I like to ask all of our competitors that I have on the show is if you have any superstitions or anything that you have to have during a match that is not gear related. So an example, one of our competitors always have to have chocolate. One of our competitors has to kiss his daughter goodbye before he leaves for a match or he won't go. Do you have any kind of superstition or must-have item that's not gear-related when you shoot a match? You know, I've had two things that, if you would be superstitious, you could say that they've given me luck. And one thing is a really old, worn-out Seekins hat that Scott gave me. Nice. I think I've won two matches with that one on, so that kind of should bring luck if you're superstitious. I'm not, but maybe I should be. That sounds and lucky. also, I have a very old, I don't know how old, but pretty old, uh, Sin City Precision Patch that Janae gave me up in Montana. And that's been on my backpack since. And it's been going pretty good since. So I think it's a combination of the Seekins hat and the Sin City Precision Patch. So a little bit of American uh, American luck. Yeah, you could say that. That'd, that'd be <laughs> If it's not shooting, that would be the, the two things that's not shooting related that I tried to bring with me. Just... It's nice to have. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Marcus, is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners? Yeah. Shoot a VRS match if you can. We'll love to have you. I'll tell you what. When you guys figure out your VRS schedule for this upcoming season, send it to me. We're going to share it with all of our NRL members uh, and our community out here. And maybe we can get a... uh, a small group of us to come out together and, and shoot one or maybe be, two of your matches. That'd be super cool. That'd be super cool. You'd be all be more than welcome. We'd hook you up with, you know, try to get you to the right places to stay and everything. It's just, we'd, we'd just help you out 
with everything. Well, we look forward to it, and we really appreciate your time on the show today. Uh, for everybody listening, thank you so much. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to our, our good buddy here, Marcus, from the Viking Rifle Series. And uh, we look forward to everybody uh, shooting some more matches. Until next time, you guys be safe, keep shooting, and we'll see you all at the range. Take care.